0: Hey, it's me in your ears. How you doing? (laughs) It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live show here on Creative Live. I am very happy to be with you today. Pumped, in fact, because we have a show in store for you that you can't miss. It's a no-miss episode, and it's because it's about mindset. You've heard me talk a lot about tactics and about how we want to do this and that, and that the show needs to be full of not just inspirational humans doing cool stuff, but actually, tactical advice. And one of the things that I think is a little bit underrepresented on the show is mindset. So, my guest today is Danielle Krissa. She is the author of the book, Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk. <laughs> that's right, that's the title of the book. And, you know, if I give you that title, that starts to help you understand, I think, where this particular show today is going. And it is towards to bring up that mindset word that I used earlier, how mindset is so critical to success in any field. And by extension, part of our mindset is that voice that we use to talk to ourselves. Our, is that voice loving and supportive and helpful or is it a big jerk? And in this case, I think we can all identify with that voice being A big jerk at some point or another. And the goal of a strong mindset is to only listen to the stuff that we really need to hear, the stuff that's gonna help you in what it is toward which you endeavor. I'm gonna give you a little bit of background on what you're listening to. So this is a talk from Danielle Krissa. And Danielle gave this, I'll call it, it's almost like a talk, it's a keynote. It's on Creative Live. It's an amazing, I'll call it episode. It's not really a class, but it's a talk that is so focused on this critical issue that so many of us really whiff on. This was at the San Francisco studios in, at Creative Live, and there's a handful of stories that she, actually, well, I'll just go, she opens up with uh, a little story about her personal experience where she was a wildly creative kid. Like, oh my gosh, we got a prodigy in her hand, or, you know, just, she was very talented, and at some point, a teacher told her that she didn't do something well. I won't go into details here because you got to listen to the episode, but that statement from that teacher basically sent ripples across her creative life from that point on, and she stopped doing a lot of the things that she was doing because of that one piece of crappy feedback. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I know it's happened to me, and I know a lot of other folks who have been on the show, other previous guests, who talk about this as sort of, un- it was unintentionally debilitating. And so what we need, I believe, in this day and age is a set of tools, a toolkit, if you will, for dealing with that negative voice, whether that voice is internal, your inner critic or heaven knows there's plenty of negative stuff on the Internet. So if, any, if you ever want to find out what you're not doing right, you can always go there and read it. But the point is that we don't work on this skill, this, this managing this inner critic is actually a skill. We have a brain that's a two-million-year-old brain, and its job is to keep you alive, not to keep you happy. So what we need to do is we need to train our brain to work for us, and that's where Danielle Krissa crushes it. Now, I thought this talk was wildly inspirational for anyone who's ever suffered a creative block as well. If you've battled critics, I know you're going to love it, and I can't wait for you to get to the show. So I'm going to get out of the way, but before I do, just a quick word from the sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo video art design music and audio craft and maker and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines there is free content there 24 hours a day seven days a week and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand you guys know i'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits and today creative live as a part of the sponsor announcement wants you to know that they have a new very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine that would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free which is super <laughs> super gnarly to get those apps go to the app store uh, iTunes and search creative live or go to creativelive.com/apps there you go now let's get into the show
1: Thank you guys so much for being part of this. I am so, so excited to be here and to be here to share my story with you and all the journey that I've gone through. Um, So um, I've been preparing for this and um, can't wait to tell you guys everything that I've been through. I'm an artist, a writer, a curator, and I have an inner critic. Was a really big jerk. (laughs) Um, So that was just a little glimpse of the things that my inner critic likes to throw out in situations like this. As I was getting ready to put all of this together, those were the exact things that I heard along with all sorts of other things. Um, And unfortunately, that little voice stopped me from doing a lot of things for a really long time. And um, I just decided no more. And I'm sure he'll always be along for the ride, but now I get up on stage, I write books, and I go into my art studio every single day. And I wear this, whether he tells me to or not. Um, So, I didn't actually meet my inner critic until I was about 21. Before that, my head was just filled with happy, artsy little thoughts. And my mom tells the story of a little 18-month-old Danielle, who apparently, according to my mom, could mix colors perfectly. And I would just sit in my high chair making masterpiece after masterpiece. Prodigy? Perhaps, this is titled Big Bird, Tiny Tree, 1977. Uh, <laughs> I was the art kid growing up. I sewed my own toys, I made paintings for all my friends even if they would have preferred store-bought gifts and in high school I designed our gearbook. So it never really occurred to me that I couldn't or more importantly, shouldn't make art. So off I went to art school. It did not go well. The art kid did not fit in at art school. That was a bit of a shocker. Um, Was that when I met my inner critic? No, actually. I I still thought that I was pretty clever, so I just kept on going. However, about six weeks before I graduated with a BFA as a painting major, I was in my painting class, and I hung my five paintings for my grad show. How many people here have been through a critique? Yes, lots of people. So you know what an art critique is like. (laughs) Groans from the crowd. Um, So I hung my paintings. Now this particular prof had never ever been a fan of mine. Um, And in a way it was okay because I had learned to defend myself, I'd gained a thicker skin, which in a way is part of art school. So that was fine. So I put my work up, sat back, and was ready to be bashed. But he loved it, a lot. He even said it was a new niche. He'd never seen anything like it before. And he went on and on and on. I just couldn't even believe it. I was so thrilled that, so thrilled, in fact, that when he said at the end of that class, the following week there would be a visiting artist from New York coming to our class, which was a huge deal. And he would like three people to show their work. Well, no one wanted to volunteer, everyone was terrified. But I shot my little hand up in the air because I just had the best critique of my life. So I said, yes, I would happily show my work. So one week later, I hung the same five paintings I had hung a week before and waited for my 10 minute critique. Well, 30 excruciating minutes later, I had been completely torn apart by my classmates and this professor who a week before had told me that he loved it. And normally, I could defend myself. But I was so blindsided by this sort of change of tune that I just said nothing. And I could feel myself start to blotch. And I could feel that I was going to cry. And that would have just been even worse. So I just I, I did this, <laughs> which didn't really help my cause either. Um, and about 23 minutes into the 30 minutes, my painting prof said to me, a painting major, <clears throat> you should never paint again. So in case you're wondering, yes, that was the moment I met my inner critic. <laughs> I second guessed everything after that, every brushstroke, every idea, all I could hear was you should never paint again. So I graduated and high-tailed it out of the art world as fast as I possibly could. I went to design school, fit in beautifully, went on to be a designer and a creative director, and had a very successful career. It was also an excellent place to hide out um, from making art, (laughs) really ever again. Um, Strangely, my inner critic never showed up in the design studio. I'm not really sure why, maybe because it was client work. It wasn't for me, but when I would go home and try and make art, all I could hear was, you should never paint again. And um, I didn't for a really long time, for about 15 years. Um, I basically wallowed around in that negativity and I was blocked and scared and making excuses like they were going out of style. Things like this. (laughs) These probably look really familiar. I can already see people looking around. Well, the light in here is terrible. So clearly I can't make anything today. This paper isn't quite right, and I think that the art store might be closed, so I can't make anything today. That idea isn't quite perfect yet. I'll just keep thinking. So clearly, I can't make anything today. And look at that. It's already 4 p.m. I can't start now. I can't make anything today. So these were things that I always thought, and I wondered if I was the only genius that had come up with blaming sunlight And so I reached out to my Facebook and Instagram crowd, who hopefully are out there watching right now, and asked them, okay, guys, give me your best excuses, thinking I'd get a handful. (laughs) Well, I got more than a handful. And they all fit in to this camp. So it basically broke down into four categories. Environment, so the light is terrible, my desk is too small, my house is too messy, blame, That was things like supplies, or there's construction outside and it's too loud, or my cat is lying on my stuff. That came up a shocking number of times. There's a lot of cats (laughs) lying on a lot of paper out there. Um, I don't have cats, so I don't know about that, but my wiener dogs get in the way sometimes. Um, And then time. And that was either not enough of it, it's 4 p.m., or excuses like that, or that it is a waste of time that creativity is frivolous. That drives me crazy. I mean, tell Picasso or Shakespeare or any creative professional for that matter that creativity is frivolous. But what we have to ask ourselves is where did that come from? Because there is no kid in the history of the world who ever said, hmm, I feel like this glitter and macaroni craft is a waste of my morning. We just made stuff when we were little, because it was fun, it wasn't frivolous, it was just what we loved to do. So where did that come from? I think somewhere along the line, that voice kicked in. And for every person, it's a mystery to solve. I just told you my mystery when I pieced together that it was that professor, but I never, it took me years and years to realize that. It wasn't until I was working on Creative Block that I kind of went, oh, I think it was that because so much time had passed that I hadn't really realized. So for everyone, that little mystery is a bit different. We're gonna do a little <clears throat> three-step investigation. So the first thing to do is identify that voice. Who does your inner critic sound like? Is it a teacher from your past? I've had so many people tell me that, you know, I had a first grade teacher who said I couldn't draw, so I haven't drawn since. Martha Rich, who did all of the illustrations for the book, <clears throat> excuse me, she was told in first year art school that she couldn't draw. So she has a sociology degree. (laughs) She never took another class until she was in her 30s and going through a divorce and took an evening class. So is it from that, is it a parent who didn't encourage a creative path, who told you that creativity was frivolous and that law school or med school was a much better thing to do? So that's the first thing you need to do is find out where that voice is coming from. Um, It doesn't belong in your head. Unless it can learn to play nice. The next thing to do is to pinpoint the attack. So I, I talk to kids quite a bit. And I'll say, you know, teenagers often think that their inner critic is there 24-7. Some, some adults think that too. But if you really pay attention to when it's attacking. So maybe when you're writing, you hear it. But if you're cooking a gourmet meal, you hear nothing. Or if you're singing, you hear it. But when you're doing collage, you hear nothing. So really pay attention to when that voice shows up because otherwise it does feel like it's there all the time. Sometimes the things that we're really good at, we just discount. They don't really count. I was really good at collage, but painting was my, you know, this terrible thing. And I always joke that you can't spell painting without pain. And to me, I think I thought that was real art because I was suffering, right? Collage didn't count because it was easy to me. And it was because my inner critic never showed up. So when you're doing anything, it might be in the garden, it might be in the kitchen, it might be in the art studio, wherever it is, pay attention to when it shows up and when it is quiet. And then finally, unmask the guilt. Inner critics can show up like family guilt, mom guilt, school guilt, work guilt, and it, it's the one that tells you that creativity is frivolous. Um, You know, especially for parents, like, well, you can't possibly, you've got to give time to everybody else. You can't possibly fit creativity in. And I just think, just imagine if Leonardo da Vinci thought that painting the Mona Lisa was a waste of time. Or if J.K. Rowling allowed mom guilt to stop her from writing the Harry Potter books. You know, so they move forward, and we should all move forward, too. So it's this junk that gets thrown out by your inner critic that's really... um, Just a bunch of fear-based words coming from an insecure bully. That's all inner critics are. So we all need to wear our little matching shirts and march in a circle, and we all need to say no to bullying. Just like bullies on the playground, inner critics have their go-to jabs. And sitting here, you can all probably think exactly of what your inner critic says to you. Mine usually is something along the lines of, don't show anyone your work because they're gonna find out that you're an amateur. There's usually some swear words in there, too. Um, But we'll leave it at that. So, um, again, I wanted to know what my online community thought. So I said, okay, guys, go to jabs. What do you hear? Thinking again that I'd get maybe 20. Well, I got, in about an hour and a half, just over 550. Do you know who had the most unoriginal, uncreative ideas? inner critics, <laughs> of those 550 comments, it was basically the same four things over and over. They don't even have an original insult. It's all exactly the same. So this was sort of the main four. I even made a spreadsheet. This is how scientific I got. And I don't do Excel, but I did it. <clears throat> so it was this. You have nothing meaningful to say. You're just adding to the and noise. You're going to fail anyway, you loser. Don't waste time trying. There are so many people that are so much better than you. You're tired. Just start tomorrow. Wow, you are so effing lazy. (laughs) So that is basically what came up over and over and over. So we're going to do a little exercise. And everybody at home can do this exercise too. So if one of these is exactly what your inner critic sounds like, that's cool. If your inner critic says something else, I want you, you've got a sharpie and a piece of paper there, I want you just to take a moment and quickly write down what that, um, what that thing is that your inner critic says. Feel free to embellish, add swears, do what you need to do so that it's real. Inner critics are really good writers. Everybody writes for so long when the, 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 the inner critic always has more than one or two words to say. Okay, I'll give you 10 more seconds. And everybody at home, write this down too. Okay, ready? So, I want everybody to stand up with your papers. Okay, now I want you to turn to the person beside you or behind you, or find a, find a friend. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> in the loudest, most aggressive voice you can muster, I want you to decide who's going to go first, and then I want you to yell your inner critic's words to that other person. No apologizing, no hugging, just yell it mean. Ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, have a seat. Now, (laughs) I saw some of you apologize and hug and things like that. So, would you ever, in your life, say something like that to another person? No. So, why on earth do we think it's okay to say to ourselves, it's not? It's bullying, it's emotional abuse, and it is not okay. It wasn't until I wrote my first book that I really started to realize that, oh, mm mm-hmm. Sorry. Before I was so rudely interrupted by my inner critic, who doesn't really think I actually wrote creative block. I just interviewed a bunch of artists. Um, I actually reached out to 50 artists for that book. And one of them, Amanda Happe, is an artist and designer from Toronto. And I'd asked her how she deals with negative criticism. And she said this. No one can wrestle the pencil out of your hand. You get to keep going in absolute defiance." I cried on my couch. Um, More than 15 years after that critique, for the first time, I finally realized it wasn't my professor that stopped me. I was the one that put my paintbrush down. I should have picked it up the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. That was also the day I realized I was not going to let my inner critic be in charge anymore. So, the only way he was allowed to hang around is if he could learn to play nice. And I didn't actually think that playing nice was possible, but thanks to Creative Block um, and talking to all of these artists. And during the Creative Block tour, I did things like this and met so many people like you guys who, after I stopped talking, told me their stories. And I realized that there was a way to get rid of the inner critic. So, these are five little tips and tricks that I've put together that helped me make my inner critic less of a jerk. So the first one is copy the experts. So it kind of seems, if you don't know, that professional artists and musicians and writers must have it made. Surely they would never ever second guess themselves, right? But they do, they all do. They all have inner critics. But they also have three really important things that we can all totally steal. Dedication. This is a really big one. They make every single day. Whether their work ends up on the gallery wall, or on the stage, or in a book, or in the garbage can. They make every day. Time. They give space and time to themselves to be creative. They do not put their work at the bottom of their priority list. Their work is their priority. If you have time to watch Netflix, comment on Instagram, then you have time to be creative. I have to take that advice too. (laughs) And trust. A lot of, well, almost everyone I've talked to, any creative professional has slowly learned over time to trust that little voice. They don't always get along, but they both have the same objective, which is great work. So if they hear that voice pipe up, they know that they're headed down the wrong path and so they'll often trust it and sort of um, reroute what they're doing. So um, <clears throat> the next tip, I love this so much, you all have to do this, give it a new name. So confession, I actually don't really like the term inner critic, even though it's on the cover of that book. <laughs> it sort of feels almost impossible to me that you could turn something that's 50% critic into anything remotely warm and fuzzy. So. I've been reaching out to all sorts of people saying, well, what do you call yours? Most of them we'd have to bleep out, so I won't go into that, but I was at um, a high school arts festival and I asked the same question. And one boy put up his hand and said, well, I call mine Arlo. <laughs> and I just burst out laughing, I was like, that is amazing. I said, I want an inner critic named Arlo. And um, you know, I figure we wouldn't get along all the time, but you know, I'm sure we have a better shot at being friends than me and my inner critic. And so I suggest to all of you that you come up with a name, something totally non-threatening like Tim or like (laughs) Elaine, you know. And so if your inner critic is flaring up, you can just tell Tim to take a seat because you don't want to hear from him today. So say thank you. This sounds easy, but it's actually really, really hard. And this is just, I think, a human thing. But so back to the nobling. Never, ever, ever speak badly of yourself or your work. If someone compliments you, you say thank you instead of giving them an itemized list of flaws. For example, if someone says, oh, I love that drawing and you say, well, I don't love that top part and I didn't really have the pencil that I wanted to use, Tim and or Elaine and or Arlo will be in absolute heaven. So if you simply say thank you and control yourself and don't tell them all the bad stuff, your inner critic's gonna have to take a bit of a seat. And every time you do that, your inner critic loses a tiny bit of power, which is exactly what we want. I'm so sorry I'm not usually this sexy and <laughs> husky. <clears throat> you guys get all the benefits of that. <clears throat> this is huge. This is a problem, how many people here have a problem with being precious about their work? It has to be perfect before you can go on. It ha- you know. I am terrified of blank canvases. My studio used to be just filled with them, all the potential that I could possibly ruin. (laughs) So I never touched them. So I thought, I know, I'll buy a sketchbook instead. So I bought a beautiful red linen bound sketchbook that is still on my shelf, completely empty. And then I actually discovered Martha Rich. And she, back in the day, used to paint on old um, cookbook pages. So I went and got a 25-cent cookbook, The Women's Encyclopedia of Cookery, from my thrift shop and just painted the pages with house paint. And away I went. And if something didn't work out, I'd rip it up, throw it on the ground, keep going. And it just took that preciousness away. So there's lots of things that you can do. Um, I love collage. Collage is a really good one for that. Or anything you do really is make sure you don't have that one perfect page. This goes for writers, this goes for everybody. Start with a little stack. Things you just don't care about. Ideas you can jot down, sketches you can do. If it's not great, toss it on the ground. Don't use expensive paper at this stage. Just, you know, I often will rip it so that the edges aren't even perfect, so I can't fuss about that. You have to let that preciousness go so that you can just be free to create. I like to do things too, like Instagram a day. Um, But give yourself a theme and actually in the book there's a chapter that has a list of 30 things, so you don't even have an excuse to go, I can't think of anything today. It's written there for you. Um, so you know, one day will be blue, the next day might be hot, the next day might be stripes, and it just makes you very present on your walk to work that you normally wouldn't pay attention, because you're like, oh shoot, today's cold, okay, I gotta find something, and it just makes you very present. It doesn't matter, it's just an Instagram, but suddenly you're sort of living a much more creative life. So. If I can pass on anything, please, 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 please don't be precious. Paint over top of that um, perfect canvas when you get home so it's got a mess on it and start from there. And finally, translate and rewrite. So bedside manner is really not a strong suit of the inner critic. It might be telling you the truth but because the message is being delivered by an asshole, it is really hard to listen. Do you have to bleep that out or is that okay? Okay. Um, (laughs) um, So if you can just put your gloves down for just a minute because it is, you know, you get a, a criticism thrown at you put your defenses up, put your defenses down for a moment, listen to what it's actually telling you, and then translate it and rewrite it. So this is the most common statement when I when I put it out to the um, interweb, you're going to fail. Don't waste time trying. Oh. Um, so let's change it to this. Oh, I'm going to fail like a genius. <laughs> because failing is a huge part of being creative, and human. You have to fail and experiment and play and fall down and get back up because that is actually how geniuses become geniuses they also give themselves time to play and experiment and fail and get back up. You're not gonna fail twice and then create the perfect masterpiece. Like it's a, it's a whole lifetime of failing and succeeding and learning and trying again. So the next time the voice pipes up like what we did today, no matter what you're doing, just grab a Post-it, a little scrap of paper, I want you to write down what you heard. Firstly, because it's ridiculous. You know, when you guys yelled it out loud, you kind of can't even believe you're saying it. But it's like a nightmare. You know, when it's in your head, it's way scarier than the next morning when you're like, yeah, then there was this shark and it came through my window and you kind of realize it's just kind of dumb. So write it down. You'll realize it's a little bit dumb and cruel. Flip it over and write the positive opposite and then tack that up on your fridge or your mirror or your studio wall. Someone suggested this to me about two years ago. And so I've been doing that. And that way, when I go into my studio, I'm surrounded by all of these positive statements instead of going in there thinking, oh, I'm not gonna be able to do anything today. I've also, because I like collage, I've collaged a few of them. You can hand letter them, whatever you like, so that you're always surrounded by that instead. And again, it just takes power away from Tim and Elaine. So um, once you take all of these tips and tricks and put them into action, you are gonna have an entirely new relationship with that little voice. Little being the key word. Now granted, he will probably always be along for the ride, but it doesn't get to make your decisions anymore. Step up on the stage and wear whatever you want because you look fabulous. The end, now go make stuff.
2: you're welcome. That was awesome. Thank you. Um, we have Q&A now. So there's some handheld mics. So just raise your hand and Mel will come bring you a mic and ask questions until we run out of time. And I'll <laughs> let you know when that happens. Okay. I can ask a question. Okay. Yes, you can. Oh. I just wanted to ask, what kind of voice do you hear? Is it, is it really aggressive and naggy
1: or is it like a Like an old-timey, like, oh, you could do better than that. Um, Well, for me, I always say he, right? I think it's because of my origin story. So to me, my inner critic is a a man. Um, It's not old-timey. I wish it was. i would be way cooler. That's notes. Yes, notes. I'll I'll adapt that. No, I just sort of hear. It depends what I'm doing, too. Um, With collage, because I've gotten a lot better at it, now it's almost more suggestions from him. You know, like, this is looking a bit cluttered. And it's not like, you suck. (laughs) If I try and paint, that's what I hear. Really, there's, yeah, really mean things when I paint. (laughs) I'm working on that.
2: (laughs) Just to follow up, what's the kind of type of conversation that you have with Arlo or Elaine (laughs) or Tim (laughs) when you hear that voice? Is it like,
1: oh, there you are again, or
2: hello, or is it like, I mean, I try not to do this, but be quiet, or... Yeah. To, how do you reduce him
1: for her? I just, now, because I've been in this now for so long and thinking about it so much, I just try and exhale, shake it off, and move forward because what that voice wants me to do is stop. And that's what I did for years. Like, even on days when I had studio time, I would get frustrated and I would just quit and be like, well, you know, I'll go do gardening or I'll go, you know, make coffee or whatever. Now, I just, I don't say anything, really. I just anyway and I just keep making and making and making and sometimes I get nowhere in that session and I have made nothing good and but that's okay because I'll go again tomorrow and hopefully he won't be in there. (laughs)
2: Um, You talk a little about discipline in the presentation I haven't gotten to read the book yet but do you find um, kind of a routine or schedule that you've kind of Finally tuned over the years? and this,
1: this Yeah, moment, schedule is really important. Um, there's a, a professor who's also an artist um, named Mark Bradley Schaup, and he always tells his students, his fourth year students, right before they graduate, you have to make your creativity a priority. So if your day job is a priority, you know, if your kids are a priority, all these things that are priorities, if you want to live a creative life, your creativity has to be a priority too. So you schedule a certain amount of hours. So if you say I'm going to spend 20 hours this week being creative, he says this to the students: like if somebody invites you to, you know, for pizza and a party, you say no because you've scheduled five hours that day and you have to do it. It's just he's like you wouldn't just blow off your day job to go to this party. So why are you blowing off your creative time? So what I, I'm a mom, and um, up until this past June, I was a full-time designer and gels curators full-time. So people kept saying, when do you make your work? And I was like, never. And so I thought, well, hold on, I better practice what I preach. So I actually block um, chunks of the weekend and I need a lot of time. I really like to be in there for, you know, a good six hours. And so that's our takeout night. And my husband and my son go and get takeout and I just keep on going. And um, I don't bring in my phone. I don't let myself go check email. I don't, nothing. I've decided that this is the time. If no ideas are coming that day, I just spend that time doing prep stuff. I'll just cut out images, you know, because I know one day I'll probably want a cactus cut out. So, you know, I cut that out and throw it in my little bowl. And the weird thing about doing those mundane prep things is while you're just sort of doing that, it's like, oh, oh, a donut and a cactus. (laughs) You know, and like suddenly collages come out of it. So even if you're not in the mood in those six hours that you've scheduled or hour that you've scheduled or whatever chunk of time you've got, go in and do something. And it just makes it part of your daily life. It's like exercise. You know, every time you do it, the next day, if you've just gone for a run, the next day you're likely to eat better, probably go for another run. Same with creativity. If you can get it into your everyday, even an hour chunk, half hour chunk, whatever you can fit in, but you have to be committed to that time and not blow it off. So I have a question if this
2: epiphany came in relationship to your age. And I guess I'm asking that because I feel like I starved out my inner jerk like a tapeworm. Like it was (laughs) like, you know, I just out-timed the inner jerk. Yeah. And there is somewhat a relationship probably between my age and my willingness to like win the battle. Yeah. And I'm here because I also have... I am also an artist breeder, apparently. I have kids. <laughs> <laughs> and they do have this inner jerk. So no, I'm yeah. back to the face off again. So I guess there's a lot of takeaways. Did you have a relationship, one, with your inner jerk and you think it might be related to your age and time in life? Or do you also face it now that you said you were a mom? Do you ever also face it with a child and their inner jerk? Do you Yeah, see
1: yeah. He's he's ten now and he's starting to well right. it breaks my heart when, you know. He's a writer. He loves writing, and he'll, you know, um, say that he's not very good, but he's so good. And he actually just brought this little thing home <laughs> for the beginning of the school year where the teacher wanted to get to know him. And so the bottom question said, your parents think blank. And he I was like, oh, God. He said, he wrote, my parents think I'm good at everything, but I'm really only so-so. Oh, <laughs> poor little Charlie. And... Um,
2: off with yeah, the jerk. well,
1: and I am too. Every time I try something new, um, um, Kate Woodrow is here, she was my editor on this book, and she knows, I mean, I freaked out when I started writing this book. When, when we talked about doing it, I was like, yeah, Pff, a book. That sounds fun. <laughs> um, and then it was time to start writing it, and I cracked open my laptop, and there was Microsoft Word, and a big white rectangle and a little cursor. You know, and I was just like, oh, oh. and I, I was in a restaurant, <laughs> I, I would write in this little lakeside restaurant that I live near, full on crying in the restaurant. My heart was beating in my throat and I was like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? I'm like, I'll just call Kate and I'll just tell her I'm not going to do it. It's fine. It, so I spent the first 20 minutes of my working session trying to figure out how to get out of this because my inner critic was screaming, you can't write a book, you idiot. And... um Again, I took a deep breath, and I was like, Kate thinks I can, and I trust her, and I just started writing, and, um, and I wrote a book. You know, so every time my inner critic says I can't do something, I used to quit. Now I take a deep breath, and I do it, and I prove it wrong, and then the next scary thing will come, like, you should do Creative Live. What? <laughs> and, you know, you get really nervous and scared, and it's like, well, you know what? I don't care that there's a little red light right there. I am going to stand up here anyway. And you know, this will be done in a little bit and I'll, be, and I'll eat a cupcake and I'll be like, I did it. And you know, so every time, like that's how I face it. I just, I just steam ahead because that's what all the professionals who I admire so much, that's what they do. And um, even at my age, it's just like I'm copying them, you know, right. yeah. And hopefully my son will, I mean, I tell him about this all the time. Hopefully he's listening, but you know, he's 10, he's probably not listening at all. you said that you were creative all your life and when you stopped painting did your friends and family realize that there was like a distinct shift in that you were no longer so confident in your work um, no, I think because I just didn't do it, and I brought out those truckload of excuses, and my mom is a painter. She's a very accomplished painter, and she said, why are you making anything? I am, Mother. I'm a, I'm a designer, and I'm creative all day. You know. And, and she was like, yeah, but don't you miss you know your painting or whatever, and I just, I just lied to myself and hid out in the design world. So they dropped it eventually, but um, I knew. I mean, I, would, I, had this, I lived in Toronto, I had this little closet that I turned into a studio, like you could barely fit a table in and then I would have to get in like that. And I'd go in there and paint when I got home and uh, I, I cried a lot, I, it was really, really frustrating and sad, but yeah, design was a great place to hide out. So when does your
2: inner critic become more of your intu- intuition? like? Imaginary friend, you're supposed to listen to and <laughs> believe as opposed to the one you're supposed to.
1: Well, it's probably in there already when it comes to things you're confident about. You know, you do have intuition about fashion or whatever, you know, whatever you feel confident about. It's just your intuition to go, oh, these boots aren't quite right. And you don't think, oh, God, these boots aren't quite right. You know, and that's fine. But then when it comes to whatever you really care about, writing or music or art, that's when it gets really loud. And so again, I think it's the pushing through. It's the pushing through and it's just, it's, it's like anything, it's just repetition and it's practice. And the more you can just push through and prove it wrong, I mean, it takes time, that's the thing. And if you quit, the time's gone, right? And that's what it wants you to do. So if you can just, I know it's so hard, but um, one of the things, and I'm so not trying to push my other book here, but. In Creative Block, I asked the 50 artists to each give an unblocking project, and this wasn't to make the book better. This is because I wanted to know what to do when I got blocked, and each of them gave an unblocking project. Well, I was running around the country telling everyone else to do these unblocking projects and hadn't done any of them myself, so I did them. All of them. They work like a charm because all of them are about not being precious. All of them are about doing something every day, even if it's for 15 minutes. And that's what gives you, that's what turns that voice into intuition. Just like the things that you're confident about, as you get more confident with your, whatever you care about, it's just gonna turn into it too. Just don't let it win. We have time for one more. First, I would say thank you for being so open about this because I realize my inner critic is always saying, it's just you. Mm -hmm. Everybody else knows what they're doing and it's just you that doesn't know. So thank you for that. And it's also interesting to um, have the idea of naming the inner critic. And I don't know why the first word that popped in my head was satchel. So I guess (laughs) that's my, maybe it's my baggage.
2: Yeah. Oh, I love (laughs)
1: that. So, yeah. Well, tell satchel I said, Move along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you say about the feeling alone thing because that's how I felt for close to twenty years, and it wasn't until I started writing my blog every day that people started to. And I only started the blog for myself; it was purely therapy for myself. And then people started commenting and saying, "Me too. Me too." And then this conversation developed, and then. Um, I met Kate and she said, oh, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, yes, because this thing keeps coming up over and over and over. Oh, not that one, creative block was uh, you know, exactly that. And I thought, I thought I was alone. I'm not alone. And let's talk to these professional artists because then we'll all really realize we're not alone. If these people we figure haven't made feel exactly the same as us, it shows you that everybody feels like this.
0: All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce,